let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 3. And if you're here and you don't have a Bible, uh, go ahead and raise your hand. And it's always good to follow along. And you know what? Um, you can keep that Bible if you like, if you don't have one. But we're in Mark chapter 3, and we begin in verse 7. It says, But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and Adumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. And so he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And it's just so wonderful studying the life of Christ and the ministry of Jesus. And we begin, first of all, with the masses. And that's in verses uh, 7 all the way down to verse 12. And then we'll get into the ministers as we close our study uh, in the latter portion. But here we have the, the masses that Jesus is ministering to. Now, just prior to this, if you were here last week, you might remember that they were plotting to kill Jesus. The Herodians, the scribes, the Pharisees, they wanted to murder him. And so uh, Jesus, it says in Matthew 12, 15, when he knew it, he, he withdrew. And so he leaves and he goes to the sea. So they want to kill him, and so he splits. And so you might ask, well, why? Was Jesus afraid? No, it's not that Jesus was afraid. It's just that um, he withdrew because it wasn't his time yet. It wasn't his time to die. We know that the day for him to go into Jerusalem on the donkey, Zechariah 9, chapter 9, that had to be the perfect day. And not only that, we're going to see it in our study today. Before he died, he had to disciple, he had to train the 12 that would reach the world. And so he withdraws, he goes to the sea. And uh, the thing that you'll notice here, you see all the geographical locations that are mentioned, and then you see the multitudes and the different types of people that uh, Mark draws our attention to. As a matter of fact, seven geographical locations are mentioned here. Uh, it's, uh, if you look at a map, you would see Tyre and Sidon way up on top in the Phoenician area. You see Idumea way down in the bottom. You see on the east side of the Jordan, that's modern-day Lebanon, modern-day Jordan, even probably modern-day Syria. I mean, all of Israel. I mean, it's uh, 150 miles by 60 miles, 9,000 square miles of just masses and masses of people that the Bible says are following him, you know? And, and when I was reading this, I was just thinking, and again, it's just a snapshot, and you might wonder, well, how many of those people were sincere? You know, we don't know. We don't know in the end. Maybe they weren't there when Jesus was arrested, and perhaps some of these people in the end right now, as we're here, they're there in heaven. Do you guys know? I mean, I'm sure you do, but I think sometimes we forget that, that Jesus Christ loves everybody. 
He loves the Idumeans, that's the Edomites. He loves the Phoenicians, those aren't the Israelites. He loves those on the other side, the Syrians and, and those in Jordan and the Arabs and the Muslims and all the different nations. He loves them and he wants to save them. That's his ministry here. And we see that they're all, it's just so beautiful the way that they're coming to him. Great multitudes, we read in verse 7, from Galilee uh, followed him. And, and from Judea and Jerusalem, it says in verse 8. And so that was impressive, you know, people from Jerusalem. We know from Galilee, that was kind of like a uh, given. The Gentiles there, some of the Jews, but, you know, from Jerusalem. And, and this is impressive to see the way he loves the whole wide world. He loves your co-workers. He loves your neighbors. He loves your enemies. And he wants to reach them. God help us not to get so entrenched in this world, in our own little lives, that we forget there's a bigger mission, there is a vision that Jesus has to save the whole wide world. That's why it's so beautiful to see you know, not only the missions trips here in El Monte where they hit the streets, but then the surrounding areas, and then they traveled down to Mexico. I was just talking to Peter right now, and he was telling me how blessed they were when they went to Mexico last week, and then on to Cambodia, and then we're going to have a missionary sharing with us a couple of weeks from Nepal. I mean, just all around the world. You guys, don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ loves the whole wide world. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9 that he's not willing that any should perish. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that he desires all men to be saved. Even Obama, pray for him, man. Because that's what the Bible says. Pray for your leaders. That we can, get, that they, we can have this peaceable life. That, that they'll get saved or at least God will guide them. You guys, we got to pray for this. I think a lot of times all we want to do is criticize, put down our leaders. Well, that's cool. Maybe you can, you know, run for president. If you're right on, I'll pray for you because we need somebody out there, right? But seriously, the Bible says first, when you go to church, you pray for your leaders and those in positions of authority. You know, do you pray for them? God wants them. God wants the whole wide world to be saved. And I tell you what, that's how you know when someone is really right on for the Lord. They just have a heart for the lost. You know, and I noticed that. I've seen it with my own eyes, and I can't judge hearts, but sometimes I see some Christians, or at least people who claim to be Christian, and they don't even care about reaching the lost. They do nothing Nothing, nothing to reach the lost. And you wonder, are they saved? But those that, that know the Lord and they have the heartbeat of Jesus Christ, they know that he loves the masses and he loves the multitudes. And it's just so beautiful to see them coming from all the various geographical locations. You know, one of the things that's kind of cool, look at verse 8, it says, A great multitude Notice, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. I like that right there, because that's kind of a, 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 an interesting thing. Like, you want to reach people, all you got to do is just tell them, let the word go out, share your testimony of all the great things that Jesus is doing. You know, and that's what I was thinking. I'm like, wow, Lord... You know, I would be cool if maybe even you guys, you know, you shot in an email and shared your testimony. Just one page, okay? But, um, you know, like, 
or, or you know, how you got saved and what, God, what God's been doing in your life for answered prayers or miracles or whatever. And I'll tell you what, we'll get them online and we'll put them on the blog and we'll send out the emails and our, you know, we send out hundreds of emails and we'll, we'll get the word out. We'll share it from the pulpit. I mean, when, you know, you tell people the great things that Jesus is doing and then the word gets out, that's the best advertising, so to speak. I mean, we could put something... I don't think the penny saver is still around, but, you know, we could put something in the newspaper or Channel 7 or whatever and, you know, about our services, come to Sunday service. But it's better when they hear what the Lord is doing. You know, I remember in John chapter 12, you guys remember in John 11, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so when word got out, hey, that guy Jesus, he raised somebody from the dead. He was dead for four days. Whoa, the Bible says in John chapter 12, verse 10, the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death because on account of him, many Jews went away and believed in Jesus. And so you tell your story about how God healed your heart. Maybe something happened to you and so many crazy things. I mean, you know, I hate to, I hate to talk about it, but sometimes you got to mention that, you know, sometimes uh, a little girl, you went through some sexual tragedy when she was young, and so many young women now are struggling and broken over that issue. But when they hear about how Jesus Christ set them free, that story carries weight and it draws the broken to Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you were struggling with crystal meth and Jesus has set you free or your marriage was on the rocks and he mended it and he brought it back or whatever the case may be. You know, when you share your testimony like Paul did in Acts 9 and 22 and 26, three times in the book of Acts, why? Because God gets glory when people hear what he did. I tell you what, in my life, there's only one explanation, is Jesus. And so we got to get the word out, because when the word went out, it says, when they heard how many things he was doing, and then they came to him. Jesus Christ is still doing things. And so we got to get the word out so that people can come to him. You see the different places here, you see the, the different people that are mentioned in the masses here. There are four types of people. Number one is the disciples. Notice again there in verse 7, but Jesus withdrew with his disciples. Now, just in case you didn't know, and it's kind of cool looking at the different people here and the way that the Lord ministers to them, and I think even the way that we can identify uh, with it is a disciple uh, the Greek word methades, it refers to a, a pupil or a student or a learner. Now, so I know if you're here as a Christian today, you would probably identify yourself as a disciple, but I wonder if you make the connection that I am a learner. I'm supposed to learn from the Lord. I'm a student. I'm a pupil of His. And so that's why, you know, we're listening. And I, I tell you what, the way that it works is that you study your Bible you read it and you ask the Holy Spirit to show you what it means and how it applies to your life. And you go through life. And yes, sometimes you make mistakes. Like sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I'll have a little uh, spat with my wife every once in a while. Don't tell anybody, but it happens, you know. And this morning I found myself just on my knees in prayer and asking the Lord, what did I do wrong, Lord? No, not not in a victim way. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not like that. It's like, Lord, 
I, I accept responsibility for that. You know, what, where did I go wrong? And he showed me it was here and it was here. And it's like, okay, the dross rises to the surface and now I learn. I learn from my mistakes. But let's just say you get in a fight and you just go and then you just whatever, you carry on with life and you don't stop and retrospect and search your heart. Like Psalm 139 says, is search my heart. Lord, show me any wicked way in me. Then we'll never learn. But you're learning the word and you're reading Christian books about God's chosen fast. Oh man, what an awesome book. But as a disciple, you're constantly learning and you're seeking the Lord and he's showing you things. See, the the disciple responsibility is inherent within the title that we are learners of the Lord. Another thing that's really interesting that's mentioned here, not only the disciples, but the multitudes. And I just thought it was cool how it's, it's mentioned it's the great multitudes. And that's all the, the, the people that were following Jesus, you know. It says in verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples into the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee did what? Followed him. They followed him, right? And then if you read there in verse 8, we just read it a second ago, and how many things he was doing, they, they came to him. So this is what the multitudes must do. They must follow him. They must come to him. See? And I was thinking about that. You know, I don't know uh, if we guys really think about that word follow. You know, follow. I'm so blessed that the women are going to have this women's retreat. It's called Follow Me. It's a beautiful command of Jesus that... I was mentioning to you uh, not too long ago is the simplicity of what it means to become a Christian. You know, if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're nominal in your commitment, you know, if you're here today and you're like wondering, what is this all about? I heard him play music. It was pretty cool. And now this guy starts talking and, you know, you're just thinking about the taquitos or something. And you're like, well, okay, well, what is a Christian, you know? And I, and I will tell you in a nutshell, it's to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, you know, and of course there's and you know things that encompass that, but at the heart, that's what it is. And that's what the multitudes here were beginning to do. For us today, and I think it's kind of funny, I don't know how this happened, but how many of you here have an Instagram account out of curiosity? Okay, so only a few young people and um how about uh Twitter? Anyone here have Twitter? You guys don't want to admit it, huh? You gotta <laughs> Yeah, you guys are lying in church. I can't believe it, man. You know, but I was thinking about this uh, Twitter and Instagram and all that. I don't I got all kind of stuff. I have one, but I don't really use it too much. I guess there's 144 million followers on Instagram. Uh, did you guys know that Selena Gomez, she has the most followers on Instagram? She has 69 million followers. Think about that. And I don't know, I just, I think about, I'm like, well, where do they get this vernacular from? I mean, where do they get, you know, followers? And, and it just kind of trips me out, to be honest with you. But uh, they were, I was reading an article as far as why Selena Gomez is the most followed person on Instagram. And they, they gave uh, three reasons. One is because of Justin Bieber. Now, I don't know who that is. Have you guys ever heard of Justin Bieber? <laughs> I guess that was her boyfriend at one time. So there's a connection there. And so everybody's fascinated with her. Um, number two is uh, her relatable content. 
That's what they say. They say that out of the, I guess uh, Taylor Swift used to be number one, but anyways, she posts too much. That's what they said. And so anyways, uh, she posts less, Selena Gomez does. And, but when she does post, there's supposedly a relatable content to it, you know? And then the third reason they say that they follow her is that her specific fans are highly engaged, highly engaged. And so I thought to myself, I said, wow, that's kind of interesting because, you know, we're, we're followers of Christ, and there's three reasons that we can probably think of that might make us more committed followers of Christ. You know, um, number one, uh, the link to the Father. Jesus said no one goes to the Father except to the Son. Now, people are all impressed with Justin Bieber. I'll tell you what, I'm more impressed with God, right? And then, you know, you got the second, relatable content. Oh, man, relatable content. This is our everyday life and battle and journey and mission. And so when we're following Jesus, he gives us the word that we need to hear every day. The message and truth that we need for every moment. That's relatable content. And then as far as being engaged, her fans are engaged. Don't you think that Jesus' fans should be engaged? That his followers should be engaged? That's us, you guys. Unless you're just a pew potato. Unless you're one of those Christians, you're lukewarm, you know, one foot in and one foot out. No way. We have to be on fire. And so I want to encourage you to take that now. And like these multitudes here, they're following him and they're coming to him. Remember that when you're following someone, it means that they're leading you somewhere. And when you follow the Lord, he leads you to heaven. When you follow the Lord, he'll lead you to victory on earth. So we got to follow him. You know, we see the places, we see the people, the disciples are mentioned, the multitudes are mentioned. But notice also, uh, there's a third group. It says, as many as had afflictions. Notice there in verse 10, for he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions. What did they do when they pressed about him? They pressed toward him in order to touch him. I wonder if there's anyone here today who has afflictions. You know, we talked last week about maybe a withered hand or maybe a withered heart. You know, you're here today and you're going through something physically and, you know, and the only place you can really go to is to Jesus. You know, I was thinking about how so much of what we do in the church is praying for the sick people. And some of them might say, well, it's, you know, the doctors and the hospitals and the medicines. Well, where did all that come from? It came from Jesus. Right? And not only that, I've seen the Lord heal people supernaturally, just praying for them, boom, they don't have to do the surgery anymore. The fever's gone, you name it. So, you know, there's a physical afflictions, but then there's the afflictions of the soul, and there's afflictions of the spirit. You might be here today, and there, uh, even in a crowd this size, there's some that have probably contemplated ending their life. There's some that have contemplated, they're hurting so bad, they... They, you know, they're thinking about a divorce or, you know, they're thinking about dropping out of following Christ, not going to church anymore. I mean, you name it. And the afflictions of the soul and the enemies oppressing and attacking them. And so what do you need to do? 
well, the same thing they did. They pressed about him to touch him. You know, they were so hungry and knowing that he was the one to satisfy them that they pushed and fell upon him to such an extent that it was dangerous. Now, what would you have done if you were there and you were the Lord? I, I think I know what you guys would have done. You would have said, okay, Mr. Peter and James and John and Andrew, all you disciples, you need to go up there and you need to make an announcement. You need to make an announcement and tell them to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting dangerous. You need, I, we need some bodyguards here. Any big guys? Okay, Matthew, you got anyone else? And you, you, know, you get the big guys in front or whatever. No, the Lord just said, this is what we need to do. Just put a boat over there just in case I get crushed. But for the most part, he was okay with it. And, and there's a picture there of what we need to do. I'm telling you this, no matter what it is, Jesus can heal you. You know, I heard a story this week in the news, and I almost hesitate to tell you, but it's the world that we live in. It's the world that we live in, and it was, uh, it was about a, a gal in, in a high school and she consensually, from what I understand, at least the last that I heard, had sex with 15 boys in, in, in the boys' bathroom in high school. Fifteen. And so people start, you know, calling her names. People start thinking things about her, and, you know, certain words come to mind. But, you know, little did they know that Earlier in her life, this girl had been abducted and was sold as a sex slave for two years. Now talk about somebody that's broken and dying inside. When I heard that story, I began to weep. And I just thought to myself, I said, Lord, help her. Lord, you're the only one that could set her free. You know, we look and we go through things in life. And, you know, we try to fill up that void with relationships or riches or the things that the world has to offer. But it will never fill that void. Only Jesus will. You know, and I don't know what you're going through. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, some guys, oh, it's because, you know, my dad always put me down growing up or I never had a dad or you're still trying to seek, you know, man's approval. And I, all those things are indicative of a broken person that needs to press toward Jesus with all their hearts so that they might touch him. You see, that's what the, the multitudes did. And as many as touched him, the Bible says, they, they were made well. See, these are the different types of people that we see here. And Jesus is ministering to them. And I pray that that's you. You know, I, I really, as a church, our desire is for you to go to heaven when you die. And our desire is for you to live a life of victory. A life that crosses over the Jordan into the promised land. A life that's flowing with milk and honey. A life that is good and filled with the abundant blessings. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. Not squeaking by. 
not being defeated over and over and over again by the same things any longer. That's our desire, you know, and that's what we want. And the Lord is here to provide the power, and there's nothing that He cannot heal. And so, you know, you look at this, and I think of uh, the, the, just the perseverance that we need to have. You know, maybe you grew up and someone said that you were just a strong-willed, stubborn brat. How many of you had that description growing up? Strong-willed, stubborn. And I always just tell people, I say, well, that's kind of cool because in one sense, that person who's strong-willed or stubborn, when you sanctify it, it can be transformed into perseverance as someone who will never give up. And that's my prayer for us. Even though we get knocked down, we don't get knocked down. That we would never give up on this glorious, wonderful, amazing life that God has for us. Nothing will stop us. Why? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And there's a whole bunch of people who are trying to get in the house. Oh, that won't stop me. I'll just go through the roof, the guys say. Wasn't that cool, man? <laughs> when the four friends have brought their friend to Jesus. And then there's a woman with the flow of blood. And it's so crowded, but it's okay. She makes her way through. And she's so, man, persistent. She touches the hem of his robe. And she's healed after 12 years of bleeding. Or there, there's a Syrophoenician woman who's praying for her little girl. And it just doesn't seem like Jesus is answering her prayer, but she doesn't stop, and she prays even more intensely and more frequently and with more passion, and Jesus heals her daughter. Or there's the woman, I remember, Elisha had given a prophecy that she would have a little boy, and then she finally does have a boy, and then the boy dies, and then there's a woman. It's just so amazing to me. She just says, you know what, saddle my, my donkey. I'm going to go, and, and nothing stops her to go to Elisha. He was like the picture of Jesus and nothing would stop her. And her son was raised from the dead. You guys, we have to do stuff like that. We have to have that heart to where we would press and nothing will stop us. And then we have another group here. Identified in verse 10, it says, For he healed many so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him, excuse me, verse 11, and the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, you are the Son of God. You know, and you have the disciples, and you have the, the multitudes, and you have those with afflictions, and here you have those that are demon-possessed. You know, demonic battles oppress. There's a there's a, a spiritual stronghold in the lives of these people. And you know, I know that there are some here today who are experiencing that. The enemy has a toehold, he has a foothold, he has a stranglehold on lives. I'm here to tell you that there is no one who can help you, nobody. Except Jesus. But he can. He can help you so much so that when these people who had demons inside of them, when they saw Jesus, it says right here that they fell down before him and they shrieked. The Greek word is they shrieked. They cried out because James says they know who God is and they tremble. And so that's where we need to come to the Lord and just understand 
that he will give us the victory. I mean, maybe what you're going through and you're thinking, well, I can do it. I can do it. I can overcome crystal meth or whatever the case may be. I can do it. No, you can't. I mean, there is a battle to be won, but you cannot defeat demons. You need the power of God. You know, we're talking about fasting. The reason being, like Raymond says, these kind, sometimes they don't come out except through prayer and fasting. So what we're praying is that if the Lord leads you, and I know this is difficult, and it's not for everybody, but, you know, we're going to come on Thursday. We'll have a night of prayer. But if the Lord leads you, Wednesday night, don't have dinner. You might live, might not. I'm not sure, but... Don't have dinner. Don't have breakfast on Thursday. Don't have lunch. Don't have dinner until we come together, we pray, we, we just seek the Lord. And then afterwards, maybe we can get a little something. We'll see. But, you know, I mean, because we're living in times and we're fighting, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And, you know, sometimes you know they're there. Sometimes you, you don't know necessarily because there hasn't been any manifestations but you just know by faith, because you know the truth, that there really are demons involved in this situation, and you need the power of Christ. I mean, I was telling the congregation, and again, I know some people have physical limitations, so you got to be careful, because your doctor might tell you not to do it, but if you can fast, and you haven't been fasting at all, then I don't think you're really seeking the Lord. You know, we have a sheet in the back, as a matter of fact, of uh, prayer requests, uh, desperate prayer requests that we have. And there are the people on there that are committed to fasting a certain day of the week. You know, but if that's you, pick one of those papers up and maybe even join us in it. But, you know, here we see that these demons, just I just love to see the way that they just totally, totally were defeated by Jesus. I just love it. You know, I don't know if I should say this or not, but uh, forgive me for this illustration, but I was thinking how the Golden State Warriors, uh, there was a thing about, you know, they won last night and how, you know, they won't get, they know this, I won't get to the finals unless I get past the Oklahoma City Thunder. They know that. You know, and it's kind of like that, you know, for us, we won't get to the finals and we won't win the championship unless we defeat the dark, demonic realm of whom we fight against. You know, Jesus here defeated them. He didn't want the demons to identify him for at least three reasons. Number one, it wasn't the right time for him to identify. Number two, they weren't the right witnesses. And number three, that if the people knew that he was the Messiah uh, politically, then there would be an uprising. You know, it's interesting that Jesus told the demons to be quiet even before he cast them out. If I was a parent, I would say, Lord, first cast them out, then tell them to be quiet, you know? But Lord told them to be quiet, and then he cast them out. Why? Because, you know what? This was dangerous. Uh, not much later, we learned this in our church history class uh, uh, this last week, that in AD 132, there was a rebellion in, in, in Palestine led by a man named Sarman Bar Kokhba. And this man was regarded by the Jews to be the Messiah who would restore their national independence. And so initial victories uh, give them a little bit of control, but it wasn't long before the Roman army came and crushed that false messianic rebellion 
so that 580,000 Jews were killed. Think about that. That's just in the war, plus all the people that died of the famine and all the people that were then deported. I mean, when you look even at our country, the, the, the greatest amount of soldiers that were, were, were killed is in the Civil War, uh, over 600,000. This is happening in, in Jews, in the Jewish history, time and time again, 1.1 million, 70 AD. I mean, and so Jesus, he didn't want to get that going. And so he tells him to be quiet. But what does he do? He casts them out. And when you look at the, the masses and you see the ministry of Jesus, I don't know where you can identify yourself. Maybe you're a disciple or you're a part of the multitude or maybe you're here and you have afflictions or maybe you're here today and you are oppressed by the enemy. I want you to know the answer is the same. It's just go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Because he has this big plan of blessing people and saving people and doing wonderful works for people. How was he going to do this? Well, you know what he did is he trained 12 men who would then change the world. And so there's more than 12 of us here. Huh, maybe we could do something, man. Look what we read in verse 14. And then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons is interesting. That's the same thing he's doing, <laughs> right? Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and notice this epitaph, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. And we'll talk about the house, Lord willing, next year. I mean, next week. <laughs> you guys got all excited, huh? But here we see Jesus had to choose certain men on whose hearts and lives he could write the message, who would go out from his presence and carry it, to the ends of the earth, you guys. And when you look at the 12, and perhaps we'll touch a little bit on this next week, what a diversity, what a motley crew, what a bunch of knuckleheads that God would use to save the world. And I tell you what, when I read the list right here, you know what I come away with? There's hope for me, man. God can use me. God can use you. I promise you. All you got to do is come to him. Don't be a Judas. Don't be a Judas. Be a Peter. The contrast between the two is they both blew it, but Peter got up and he repented. He got his life right. Judas didn't. And so may God help us to learn from these guys. Um, you know, it's cool the way the Lord just called them to him. And that's really what it's all about. They'll just come. You spend time with him. You get to know him in this personal relationship. And then what ends up happening is he sends you out. Just like any gift. First you buy it, and then you give it away. That's what Jesus does with our life. And man, when you look at uh, these guys, again, there's hope. Let me close with the words to one song that's been dear to my heart. You know, usually when I'm working out, I'll listen to this song to start me off. It's kind of funny, but it's by a gal named Francesca Battistelli. And the name of the song is He Knows My Name. 
And these are the words. I wish I could sing it to you, but I'm sorry. I want you guys to still love me at the end of the day. <laughs> but it says this, spent today in a conversation in the mirror face to face with somebody less than perfect. I wouldn't choose me first if I was looking for a champion. In fact, I'd understand if you picked everyone before me, but that's just not my story. True to who you are, you saw my heart and made something out of nothing. It's true to who he is, you guys. He'll see us and we're all messed up, man. But he will make something out of nothing. Amen?